completely off topic, but Van Dijk just had an absolute howl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's all right, yeah. What's the school? He's, well, no, he's literally just passed the ball to Lacazette. <laughs> Good. Hopefully they're in shit form when we play. So she released her debut shooter. Uh, I can't speak, man. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Co-Conspirators podcast. As usual today, I'm Luke, and I'm joined by my co-host Callum. Hello. And my other co-host, John. Hello. So after our recent episode on Maxwell and Epstein's dark, secretive network, in today's episode, we will be looking at some more light-hearted theories. Well, not necessarily light-hearted, but definitely some lesser-known and less believable theories. Yes, yeah, so I, I, think, I don't think light-hearted is going to be the right one for my theory. Yeah, mine's not particularly light-hearted either. <laughs> a little less well-known, for sure. Well, actually, they're all quite well-known, but not necessarily as recent and in the public eye. And so today's episode is going to revolve around the world of music. Pretty much everyone loves music in some shape or form, and us hosts all have very differing music tastes, and that is somewhat represented in our choice of topics for today's episode. I like Scandinavian electronic music and Britpop, which is quite an interesting combo, I know. Callum also has a diverse taste, including Norwegian heavy metal and Post Malone, whereas John is a big fan of the indie scene, but also dips his toes in the grime and K-pop scenes. Hey, since when? Forever, boy. Which one are you contesting there? The last two. Given the recommended on the co-conspirators YouTube channel, I mean, what someone's watching K-pop. <laughs> yeah, you can point that finger at yourself. <laughs> so, in fact, our music taste as a trio is so varied that I'm not sure there's many artists that all three of us listen to and appreciate. The only two I can really think of from the top of my head is Lonely Island and Crazy Frog. You guys have got, <laughs> got any others? National Anthem. National Anthem. Life. That's, that's another anthem tier song. We are big furry fans, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I guess yours and Callum's music taste overlaps quite a bit of each other, but mine not so much. Yeah. So to the conspiracy side, music is one of the biggest money-making industries in the world. And as we know from our Maxwell Epstein episode, with money comes scandals and conspiracies. People are willing to do whatever they can for a bit of that sweet dollar and fame. Management and agents in music are commonly known to exploit musicians' talent for money, be it to the ultimate extreme seen in career or behind closed doors, as myself and John may touch on a bit in our theories. So today we're actually going to be starting with my theory. And my theory examines the idea Britney Spears is imprisoned and exploited for money by her father. Now, it might surprise you a bit from my monotonic doll voice, but I'm actually a big fan of Britney's music. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I appreciate it a lot, yeah. It's catchy, yeah, sing-along. In some ways, she's probably the Miley Cyrus of our generation, but more famous. She blew up, she had controversial music, many hated her, many loved her. She also had some raunchy videos, with the music video for Toxic arguably being her version of Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. Um, obviously, Britney's came first and then ended up spiralling into craziness with stunts including shaving all her hair off. Yeah, another parallel is she started on Disney Channel as well, and so yeah. did Miley Cyrus. Exactly. So before actually delving into this conspiracy, just a bit of a brief background into Britney Spears. So Britney Spears was born in 1982 in Mississippi, United States, to an English Maltese American family. Billboard ranked her as the eighth biggest artist of the noughties, and she has sold over 100 million records worldwide. As mentioned, she was born in Mississippi, and Mississippi is a strongly socially conservative evangelical Protestant state in the so-called Bible Belt in America, where a lot of people are stereotyped as extremely Bible-loving, anti-gay, misogynistic, and etc. You get the drift. Kind of like in NASCAR, which is also popular. <laughs> as John mentioned, 
She got her big break in December 92, where she was cast in the Mickey Mouse Club alongside big names such as Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling and Kerry Russell. I didn't know that Ryan Gosling started off on Disney. That's a pretty famous, you know, class. Aguilera, Timberlake, Gosling. I yeah, they very Kerry well. Russell, but... No, I didn't. Shows how much I know, how much I, how in touch <laughs> I am. Surprised you're not in touch with the 1992 Mickey Mouse Club, kind of. Well, no, yeah, it was completely before my time. <laughs> she released her debut studio album in 1998, Hit Me Baby One More Time, and the rest is history. And no, Callum, Hit Me Baby One More Time isn't in Ode to Stank anymore. Ooh, oh, very touchy. Could be construed like that, though, you know? There's lots of double meanings in songs, especially pop songs. Yeah, I think a lot of people do pour their emotions into their songs. I mean, I haven't really delved too deeply into the lyrics of Hit Me Baby One More Time. I only really know the chorus. So from the top of my head, Hit Me Baby One More Time, she says, my loneliness is killing me. And then she sings about being hit. So could link into the theory she's trapped. But at the same time, if she's being trapped by the management and her father, they surely wouldn't let her release the song. Yeah, very extreme case of Stockholm Syndrome. Very extreme. (laughs) It's worth noting the idea that Britney is being controlled dates us back as early as the Mickey Mouse Club when she was... um, just nine years old at the time she was told her voice was too alike to christine aguilera's so she must change it she was on a babyish singing voice which went down a hit but was very hard to replicate in future life and apparently this is often why she's forced to lip sync by her management as she just can't really nail the singing voice she's become famous for yeah i have seen footage of her singing like before she was big and she was actually quite good yeah so for years she tried to actually release an album in her true voice but was not allowed to by her management and also, this is apparently another reason she commonly lip-syncs, as they're scared she would just try to sing in a normal voice on a concert or something like that. Lip-syncing is pretty commonplace in a lot of pop music. Especially yeah. when you dance a lot, and she does. Yeah. Britney's been called out for it a lot more than most other people, though. Yeah, that's true. Also, just like, that's the way you mentioned about the voice seems a bit a bit very harsh, so that bores her to sing this one style, but I guess if it keeps the money coming in... So now uh, moving on to Britney's meltdown. So we were actually only 10 at the time. I remember it quite vividly. I don't know if you guys do as well. Yeah, I remember it really well. I remember being like on the papers and everything and thinking she'd gone mental. Yeah, I don't remember it so much compared to you, but I definitely remember it happening. I think it goes to show just how big she really was. I mean, we were 10 years old. We remember it. I think pretty much everyone remembers Britney's meltdown in 2007, which is where all this um, conspiracy really starts to kick off. In the build-up to her infamous meltdown, she was going through a public divorce. And I guess in quite a similar fashion to Princess Diana, she was constantly invaded by the paparazzi. And in one instance, she was chased and followed by hundreds of them into a public restroom where they attempted to photograph her. They also videoed her in tears, asking them to just leave her alone. In one such event that shows just how ruthless the industry is, they went as far as filming her through the windows of an ambulance while she was naked, being taken away for her final mental health hold. I think we said on this past, probably on the Diana episode, how vicious that the paparazzi can be, how like, they're foaming at the mouth to try and get like a glimpse of a celebrity in a yeah. vulnerable position just because it'll sell their papers. Well, I've seen similar in my, my conspiracy, which we'll come on to, but with Paul McCartney on the day that he was, uh, on the day that John Lennon died, he like is getting out of a car and instantly just hounding, like, oh, what do you think of the news? What do you think of the news? And then same again when George Harrison died. Same again, like just reporters wanting to get that first scoop, not giving him any space to breathe and stuff. So, yeah, it's very common. I think a lot of the time with Britney as well is it wasn't just a glimpse. They knew she was ill and they tried to kind of trigger something so they could, you know, get the money shot of her, like kicking off or something like that. 
which is really sad in a way. Mm. So during her breakdown, she regularly locked herself in her home with her children. She shopped naked. And something that I didn't know, but I've checked out YouTube videos, and I mean, it's kind of funny. She spoke in a British accent. <laughs> Was it any good? I mean, that's actually really good. She, I mean, she had an English grandmother, so maybe yeah, okay. grandmother can give her some tips on that front. As we touched on, I can imagine the intense pressure and scrutiny she must have faced, and that must have been intolerable and would probably drive most of us to the edge. Sadly, her mental state went even more sour, and she was hospitalized. After the hospitalization, where this starts to get really weird, her father petitioned to the courts to be a temporary conservator to her until she was mentally stable, and this was only meant to last for one year's time. What this means is that basically her father would control her finances and estate, and would also be in control of many of the business decisions that would come Britney's way. Now, this kind of relationship is often reserved for the severely, severely mentally ill, including severe cases of dementia. However, the temporary conservatorship was changed into a permanent state in 2008, as Britney supposedly suffered from early-onset dementia. Interestingly, in 2008, she was in her 20s at the time, which is an incredibly young age to be diagnosed with such an illness. Of course, we know that Chris Benoit, who committed a double murder-suicide, supposedly had the brain of an 85-year-old dementia patient in his autopsy. But Britney wasn't quite being Batista bombed onto a map. Yeah. Also, his was a lot to do with like steroids and things. Yeah. And there's I, actually a lot of mystery around his death, which would be, I think, maybe quite a good one to go over in a future episode. There's some really good conspiracies on it. WWE conspiracies, or <laughs> maybe combat. I say combat sports. Not really. A, the rest of the sports. Wrestling is a sport, but WWE is more of just entertainment. It's sports it? entertainment is what it's classed as. And I think, as John mentioned there, a lot of Benoit's was linked to drugs. And so people have done the same here. And they're saying, was it some kind of drugs her father was shoving down her throat to control her? Because there's a lot of evidence to suggest that Britney's been controlled for a long time. Or maybe even just she tried to self-medicate with drugs, you think? Uh, It's a fairly common place when people have poor mental health. I've discussed my theory about Kurt Cobain. There's a lot of big rock stars who will have done a hell of a lot more drugs than her and certainly not experienced dementia symptoms at such a young age. Obviously, we're not scientists, but I mean, dementia in your 20s, I think that's almost unheard of. Do they not know what's caused it, though? They're not saying it was early onset Alzheimer's or something like that. Because dementia is only ever a symptom, isn't it? It's not a disease. They they haven't said. Could have been made up, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's quite secretive, but supposedly to get this permanent conservator relationship, her father took down the line that she had early onset dementia because you have to be severely ill to get this status because mm. i mean she's lost control of everything and i mean this isn't a conspiracy this is fact like it's gone through court so still to this day she doesn't have control over her assets correct yeah her father is a that's crazy conservator. even today that's so, crazy so for a bit more context under this conservatorship britney could not do the following things without permission and if she did any of them she would be sent to a mental institution she couldn't drive a car she couldn't vote she couldn't get married she couldn't have children she couldn't spend their own money she was not allowed to see how her money was being spent she couldn't leave her home she couldn't hire her own lawyer she couldn't have control over her career she could not speak about the conservatorship publicly she couldn't do interviews that weren't scripted and all final cuts were to be approved by her father she couldn't use a mobile phone without being monitored. She couldn't use social media unmonitored. She could not contact anyone without them being monitored or having been extremely vetted. She couldn't go shopping. She couldn't go for a walk. So she needed permission to do all of those things. And if she didn't get permission, she'd be sent to a mental institution. 
So who granted this? Was was you signed off as mentally ill by a doctor and then the court granted it? Yeah, that's correct. It just seems baffling to me just doing say, a normal thing such as just going for a walk or going for a drive in a car is enough to get you sent to a mental institute as a result of this judgment. Well, there's yeah, people I'm... with serious dementia who don't even know who they are who have more rights than that and more actresses than that. Yeah, and I, f- I think that's the thing that just blows people's mind. As mentioned, this is meant to be reserved for the very seriously ill. However, since this um, conservatorship began 12 years ago, Britney has released four albums. She's done three worldwide tours. She did a four-year Las Vegas residency. She was a full-time judge on The X Factor. She released multiple perfumes on the lingerie line. And also, she made $140 million a year. Um, so if she was so ill, it seems quite illogical that she would be working like this, considering that she's deemed so ill that she can't do any of these things of her own back. Yeah, exactly. Can't go for a walk, but you can do all that. You can do a world tour. And then on top of this, on January the 4th, 2019, so last year, her Las Vegas residency was cancelled after her father had a near-fatal colon rupture. Two months later, Brittany entered a psychiatric facility to focus on self-care amidst supposed stress from her father's illness. Now, apparently this was ordered by her father after she decided not to take a medication and violated rules in her conservatorship, specifically driving. So what it seems to happen here is Brittany did not get permission to drive and so she was sentenced to the mental health institution. So, I mean, this conservative shit was really that serious that, you know, literally just driving, she's back in hospital, back in the facility. That's ridiculous. I mean, given her father's also say, had this medical incident, he's still thinking, well, I've got to get this conservative shit, make sure I'm still on top of that. I'll call Brittany out driving right off the psychiatric yeah. institute. I think the thing is, he's in hospital dying and he still doesn't, obviously doesn't want word out. So he's got to do everything he can to stop it. It's going to get out at some point, surely. I think when he does actually eventually die, so he thinks that Brittany would have come out. Or maybe it might be a massive, massive, massive announcement to make. See how lucrative that could be for telling your story. Yeah. So this theory took another turn last week. Brittany posted a video on TikTok. And on that video, a fan posted in her comments, if you need help, wear yellow in your next video. This comment was actually massively upvoted and it was using the hashtag Free Britney. In her most recent TikTok post, Britney is not only wearing yellow, but she emphasised in a caption that it was her favourite yellow top. It's actually the first mention of Britney like this. I mean, she's never brought up in a post before, you know, oh, look, I'm wearing my favourite jeans or anything like that. So it's really sparked a lot of rumours on this side. That is creepy. Either she's doing it to play up to it, like as a bit of a publicity thing, or it is... A very much a cry for help. And yeah, not only this, um, the hashtag Free Britney movement has actually started and gained a lot of traction in the last few weeks, especially with a lot of these, a lot of this story coming out. And not only has it gained a lot of traction, what is even more damning is Britney's sister, the actress Jamie Lynn Spears, and also Britney's mother have both liked comments mentioning her father controlling her and trapping her. The fact that liking it suggests that, you know, they believe that to be the case that their father's exploiting her for money and he's used his conservatorship to do so. I mean, I think if you're in that situation, like you would li- wouldn't knowingly like comments that says something like Free Britney without wanting to try and draw attention to it covertly, you think? Is that... I guess there could be some kind of injunction that they can't speak out about it, even though they obviously would want to, so liking these comments could be their way of late. Yeah, no. it's definitely a conscious choice, not just randomly liking everything to do with Britney Spears. That's a quite a specific comment to go and like. So actually, the whole deal with controlling her assets is up for review. I think that's partially why it's in the news. 
because okay. it's the 22nd of August. It's up for review, so I think there's a chance if the court agrees that she gets it all back. I yeah, think is why it's gained a bit of traction. I guess if that happens, it would be very interesting to hear what she has to say. See what she says, yeah. Save the date for that one for the next yeah. episode. Just go follow up. So, I mean, this this whole theory is kind of a bit crazy. You know, you've got her being controlled from a very early age, her father exploiting her for money and also practically causing her to have a mental breakdown and then taking control of her and trapping her ever since through this legal route when, you know, if she's seriously that ill, she shouldn't be doing these world tours and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I can't imagine many dementia patients are out there singing to a crowd of like 50,000. No. Yeah, so so what do you think? I mean, I had my mind blown by this, but do you think Britney is just crazy or is she being controlled and exploited for money by her dad? Well, I think it's, there's a lot of detail in there that you almost can't argue against. Like her dad, you know, had control of all of her assets and all these decisions had to be run by him. And by the sounds of it, that isn't up for debate. I don't know if the finer details of it are, but certainly the assets and the money and the business side wasn't kind of in her hands. So it's a dodgy situation either way, because if you look at it in, I suppose, in quotes, the best possible light, it would be that she's actually very seriously ill, uh, like mentally ill. So obviously, as we've touched on, she shouldn't be doing anything. She shouldn't be an expected judge. She shouldn't be doing world tours or anything like that. So even then, the dad comes out of it looking like an awful person who's exploiting his daughter for money. And then if you spin it the other way, that it was, I don't know, faked or over-egged, because she did shave her head. So I don't know what the explanation for that is, if the mental issues were fabricated for the purpose of getting this injunction thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could argue that she did have the mental breakdown and, you know, that was caused either by her father or by the paparazzi but then it gave her father an excuse to be mm. more controlling than he already was and people recover from these things so it's not like like a celebrity in public eye can have one breakdown and that's it like therefore never be trusted that's yeah. never the case pop stars and rock stars have these kind of things all the time where they go a bit off the rails or whatever but you have a breakdown to still be physically able to drive a car and take a walk yeah. or... especially 12 years later i feel like when you need permission to go for a walk and if you don't get permission to go for said walk, that really means, you know, they are genuinely worried that you're going to go out you, there. You should be in an asylum. That's the rules they have to put you under. You, sh- you clearly aren't safe to be living in public. I think as well, something that I didn't mention, but it's definitely interesting side fact. Is that I, I did mention that she can't contact anyone without them being monitored or being extremely vetted. So Britney Spears did actually collaborate on a song with Iggy Azalea. And Iggy Azalea said that uh, when she did this, she had to have her house searched from top to bottom. So I think that mm. is definitely interesting. It's not the first time these sort of things have happened in music either. I know there's... It's it's mainly the other way in terms of it's not always family, but it's like record labels having serious control over their artists. Yeah. But there was a very famous one with Kesha and she was trying to raise the money to get out of her contracts. And I think she was being abused by her record label and then similar things happen in k-pop and then uh it's prince really bad, yeah. did it yeah that's really famous because they like pass out on stage and then prince for i think it was an award show or a performance he wrote slave on the side of his cheek because he felt like he was being exploited by his record company which led to the blur drummer he was called dave writing dave on his cheek in the same writing there's a bit of a jab at it but um i think the thing is with these kind of things is like for example when i sign a contract to work i mean i don't read it i don't think anyone does no. When you're a musician, like the record label could come out and give you know a 120 page contract, you're not going to bother reading it, are you? And then next thing you know, you've signed up to do all these things, legally not allowed to get out of. You're a bit screwed. 
think the X Factor and the Voice ones are very famous for that. They, if you win that, even if you like get through to the live shows, they give you a massive contract and no one ever reads it, but it's actually pretty controlling. So yeah, I'll wrap up my thoughts on it. I think in terms of conspiracy, you know, one of the biggest pop stars, certainly of the 21st century, being controlled by her father and not almost not really having a life at all. I mean, it's worth for money. I think it's, a, it's going to score very high, so I'm going to give it an 8.5 overall. For the believability, I think it's going to be high as well because, you know, it's not really up for debate, the fact that she has no control over all her assets and things. And there's a TikTok thing you can read into it quite a lot. I mean, it seems quite obvious on the face of it that, you know, that she's responded to a cry for help. But uh, could be a coincidence, but I doubt it. So, yeah, and, and the fact that it wouldn't be the first time this has happened again adds weight to it. So I think believability, I'm going to go for an eight. Yeah, I think I'm going to sort of follow suit on this one. Like just talking about the TikTok incident, it'll be very interesting to see if another comment pops up seeing how popular the last one, say if you wear yellow, if you need help, if someone decides to try that again and it tactic plays off, say, I don't know, wear a red sweater or something like that. Didn't someone you puts, if you need help, wear nothing in your next video. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just said she went shopping naked, so don't put it past her. <laughs> But if it's all serious, if someone did say that again and it was to happen, I think that's when you think, okay, this is a coincidence. Just going looking beyond that, this would be quite, that could be quite superficial if you're being critical. But the fact that it's legally binding contracts, whatever it is, that she's no, not in control of her assets, she, has, she had, basically has no autonomy over her life and it's all down to her father. That's very worrying for basically if you think about her well being, given all that she's been through, and also puts the believability for this conspiracy way high. I actually hadn't actually heard anything about this. I don't knew about her breakdown in the past, but I thought, uh, in my eyes, just faded from public. I wasn't aware of anything she'd be doing recently. I was going to say, with all due respect, I didn't think she was really relevant anymore. Clearly, she's been I mean, propelled no, back I'm... into the limelight. Yeah, now this, um, when you mentioned this date for the review coming up in the, in August, does make a lot of sense now. So I think believability, I'm going to score, I'm going to score a 7.5. And also my score overall another high one i'm gonna we go as high as a nine just how shocking it is and how i wish it took me by surprise i think in honesty and how much how deep it goes do either of you watch black mirror yeah i do i've seen, seen a few episodes episode. you've seen the one with Miley siren no i haven't actually uh, I, I feel like this whole story really reminds me of the uh, black mirror episode with Miley cyrus basically she plays a pop star who is drugged and controlled by like her guardian so it is it's quite similar to this and i guess this conspiracy is very black mirror-esque in a way maybe they're writing for experience or insider knowledge <laughs> i mean you never know i think with this conspiracy i think it's a really interesting one you know the fact that this is all kind of true not the whole story obviously but the facts is we do know what is true is that she was placed under permanent conservatorship yet she's still able to do all these things which kind of suggests that she's not that severely ill because most people under this permanent conservatorship you know they can't really feed themselves they can't leave the house and i mean if you judge on x factor you're clearly not falling into that category are you they're certainly not capable of being a world tour and performing on stage several nights a week so i guess in some sense that does actually bring the conspiracy score down for me a bit because it's not that much of a conspiracy <laughs> And there's a bit of fact involved. I think the TikTok thing is quite fascinating, though. It'll be really interesting to see um, where that goes. Like maybe I'll finally bite the bullet and download TikTok and drop a comment. <laughs> as soon as we start recording this, I'm going to check that out. And you, just have you a look. Something that's so blatant that she wouldn't just do it by pure coincidence. It's got to be, you know, wear a like, Spanish football top in there if you're being controlled by your dad. Yeah. So that's the thing, though. There's rumors that the US is going to ban TikTok, so maybe her outlook could be removed. I hope. Go yeah, ahead the news this in the UK day. as well. The Chinese 5G and everything. It's mad. Oh, I'm well happy about that. <laughs> yeah. 
genuinely, I think it's so dodgy what the Huawei has been up to. So I think it's yeah. fine, a good decision despite being another U-turn, but we will leave politics out of this. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, overall, it's a, definitely an interesting story. And it sounds like given that the reviews in August, it's going to hot up even further because if the review gets overturned, you know, who knows what she's going to reveal next. It seems like Britney Spears is kind of lives her life on the sleeve a bit, which is why she's being so heavily controlled by her father and why she's not allowed to give live interviews. And she has to kind of lip sync everything as well, just in case, you know, <laughs> she does anything a bit over the top. So overall, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this an 8 out of 10. In terms of believability, I mean, it's hard to look past the facts, really. She's almost definitely being controlled in some way, whether that's just her assets and business decisions, but... You know, whether her whole social media is being controlled by her team and her agents and her management kind of remains to be seen. When you think about it, the situation is really weird because she was seriously, seriously mentally ill and kind of dropped off the face of her in a way. Like, I don't really remember hearing too much from her in the last 10 years, considering she was one of the most famous musicians of all time. But, you know, she was still on X Factor and stuff like that. I suppose it's in America, though. We're not watching US. I don't think we're watching US X Factor. I mean, I'm not watching UK X Factor, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. You just can't look past it. She's doing all this stuff, so can't be that ill. And yet she's not allowed to do so much. That freedom and liberty in such a free country of America is uh, being taken away from her. So. It uh, definitely suggests someone's dictating her movements or her actions. Yeah. So I'm going to give it an, an A out of 10 on believability. Certainly one of the more compelling and interesting theories you've had Far cry from the old Charles did get coronavirus. <laughs> Feel it, actually. Okay. Yeah, that, that wraps that one up. Now, I think we're moving on to John to see what he's got to bring to the table today. Thanks for that, Luke. So, my conspiracy theory uh, revolves around the Beatles. So, have you two heard of the Beatles? Yes, of course. <laughs> Don't think I have it. <laughs> They're quite niche. No, so they, they were and still are widely regarded as the most famous and the most successful band of all time. The Beatles consisted of Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George Harrison and Ringo Starr. And the group formed in 1960 and had 17 number one singles in the UK and 15 UK number one albums and sold billions of records worldwide, including 1.6 billion in the US alone. So Beatlemania well and truly gripped the world. The Beatles split up in 1970, so 10 years later, and they all went on to have successful solo careers, I suppose particularly Paul, John and George. But Ringo did also have uh, some solo albums. It's also Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, yeah just he was, name, yeah. yeah. Did a great job. Narrated <laughs> our childhoods. I know, damn right. I only found that out probably a few years ago. It wasn't something I knew growing up. I mainly knew Ringo Starr from the Simpsons episode, if you remember yeah, that. I, remember. <laughs> I know what episode you're on. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr are still alive to this day. But George Harrison sadly died of cancer in 2001. And famously, John Lennon was shot dead in 1980 by Mark David Chapman. But that's a conspiracy for another time. Another hugely popular theory surrounding the Beatles is that Paul McCartney actually died during the Beatles era. And this is what I'm going to be taking a look at. The Paul is dead movement has been seen in popular culture, such as the X-Files. And Paul McCartney himself even cleverly called his 1993 live album, Paul is Live, as a reference to the conspiracy. I'm a big fan of a pun, and that is an absolute world-class pun. Big fan of celebrities also referencing stuff they've seen about themselves and like taking it tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he gets asked it quite a lot, and he always seems to take it pretty well. I was going to say, maybe that's why Britney wore the yellow top, just to reference the whole conspiracy. <laughs> but on the subject of that, uh, something we haven't looked into, but something very famous is a thing called Pizzagate. 
which is kind of similar along the Epstein thing, is like a child trafficking ring and communicating code. I thought it was Fabregas on Fergie in the tunnel. <laughs> but somebody said to Justin Bieber on TikTok, if you were caught up in the Pizzagate scandal and abused, mess with your hat in the next video. And then like in the next video, he leans right to the camera and like fiddles with his hat. So again, don't know if it's another coded message or whether, like you say, they just like playing up to it. I mean, Bieber messing with his hat is probably fairly normal on a Justin Bieber TikTok, I imagine. But Well, you'd think so. I mean, overemphasising it, maybe. In 1964, the Beatles embarked on their first and only world tour, and they played hundreds of dates from 1964 to 1966, when they played their penultimate show ever to end the US leg of the world tour. They toured almost non-stop for three years, but this came to a sudden halt in 1966, four years before the band officially disbanded. I mean, that's already a bit weird, I think, that the Beatles only really did one big tour. I mean, we know how big they were and we know about Beatlemania, so even just yeah. taking the conspiracy out of it, I think it's mad they only did one tour. Ten. Yeah, when you said they mentioned the 15 albums as well, so yeah. normally protocol is you'd go on a tour to promote your albums. Oh well, yeah, exactly. So, strangely, the Beatles then never played another proper venue or concert and never sold another ticket from 1966 to 1970 when the group ended despite still being hugely popular, even bigger than Jesus, to quote John Lennon, and releasing six albums in this time, including four number ones. Like we've touched on, this is incredibly odd. Bands normally always tour following an album release in order to play the new songs to fans and cash in on the hype surrounding it. But at the height of their popularity, the Beatles stopped performing live altogether, but did continue to make music. This aroused a lot of suspicion and led many to believe something had happened to the band and perhaps one of its members. I blame Yoko, though. Well, she does get a lot of the blame. <laughs> Some of it may be unwarranted, but I think she probably had a part mm. to play, unless this conspiracy is true. But one thing she got a lot of flack for is Julian Lennon, who's their son. When John died, he wanted like some of his dad's possessions, like guitars and stuff, to remember him by. And she said, no, they're all mine. If you want them, you can buy them off me. Oh, I Which saw that. Seems a bit harsh. I thought John Lennon infamously sang Imagine No Possession. <laughs> yeah, Imagine. He still had plenty of them. <laughs> it was all hypothetical. Do as I say, not as I do. So um, the Beatles' popularity came in part to their incredible unity, including perfect harmonising, performances and microphone sharing, and a sort of happy-go-lucky attitude and look. However, following the end of their 1966 tour, this look and harmony were gone. Their next album release was called Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and many point to this as being an insight into how the band felt at that time. Lonely Hearts, perhaps being a clue to something or someone being missing, causing very literally loneliness within their hearts. This is where the theory that Paul died in 1966 and was replaced so as not to end the band prematurely was born. But in 1969, after a hiatus of three years, the Beatles played their final concert on the roof of the headquarters of their record company, Apple Records. This was a surprise, unannounced, 42-minute performance and was just days in the making. However, the Beatles did allegedly plan to go back on tour, but this never happened. The appearance of the Beatles during this concert was wildly different to previous, with all members sporting long hair and beards, and it was also performed on a rooftop, so the crowd couldn't really get a proper look at them. These details aroused some suspicion, the long hair and beards perhaps hiding the fact that Paul was not actually Paul, and the fact that Paul was significantly taller than John in this recording, despite officially and clearly in previous footage of performances, Paul and John were the same height, around 5 foot 10. 
I still always, shoes yeah, I'm sure he's not wearing some sort of platform shoes. I remember around the Sergeant Pepper era, he started to, to get very heavy into psychedelics and all the choices that that ends up entailing, like fashion, hippie movements and odd clothes, etc., etc. I mean, he could have been. They, I didn't really notice any massive shoes on him, but they could have been. This isn't just in that performance, I think. There are some other photographs and things of them together after 1966, and there does seem a Bit of a height difference um, in the strawberry fields forever video which i'll touch on later they're all standing together and again paul looks a lot taller whereas if you look at some of the old early 60s performances they are the same height but like you say i suppose could be his shoes in every time but some other differences in paul's appearance come with his eyes post 1966 and the last tall performance paul was famous for his very dark chocolate brown eyes and it was something that you know that the stereotypical that all the girls swooned over is really dark eyes and i actually found some posts on the internet while i was researching this of people saying oh i've got the best eyes ever in this Uh, but um (laughs) if you look at the hey jude music video which is released in 1968 paul's eyes are very clearly light brown if not green and his eyes today look almost blue there are many similar discrepancies with images of paul from 1966 onwards the beatles as mentioned started growing facial hair supposedly to hide the surgery that Paul's double was having. Also, the Sgt. Pepper vinyl inner cover features a photoshopped image of Paul that looks like a cross between Paul and a fake Paul, perhaps to get fans used to the subtle differences between the original and his replacement. In 2015, uh, right, I, I will preface this little segment, this, this interview bit, by saying, on the one hand, if this is true, then it completely confirms a theory. On the other hand, take it with ton of salt because it's not recorded. You basically you can't prove that it ever happened. So it's just an alleged conversation. There's like seven billion people in the world. All it takes is one guy to say it in an alleged conversation. Yeah, makes a whole theory bulletproof. I've got my salt shaker at the ready. Don't worry. Yeah, I will say anyway though because a lot of the details in it match up with some details that other people have said. But anyway, so in 2015, in an alleged conversation with Ringo Starr. He explained that the real Paul McCartney died in a car crash on the 11th of September 1966. To spare the public from grief, the Beatles replaced him with a man named William Shears Campbell, who was the winner of a Paul McCartney lookalike contest and a session musician. Ringo said, when Paul died, we all panicked. We didn't know what to do. And Brian Epstein... (laughs) (laughs) relation. I know, yeah, tie into our previous episode. Their manager at the time suggested that we hire Billy Shears as a temporary solution. It was supposed to last only a week or two, but time went by and nobody seemed to notice, so we kept playing along and making music. So it was, it was literally like, oh yeah, we're going to have this guy for a week, and then in a week later we're going to say, oh, by the way, Paul's actually dead. Surely they were planning at some point to announce he was dead. They weren't going to get his corpse up, were they? I mean, <laughs> who knows? If it's temporary, maybe they were just trying to put a few things in place, finish a few records or whatever, and then announce it. Or maybe it's went the complete other way there. I've got this Billy guy in the year, just him for a week, they realised he's such a top bloke, they wanted to continue the band with him, just forget about Paul. <laughs> you know. <laughs> what have his kids got to say about this? Or his family, because he didn't have any kids at the time. No, he probably did. He would only have been 24, 25, I think, at this time. But it look like has been falling his whole family for 50-odd years. Well, they were in on it, according to, yeah, yeah. According to something later on as well. But yeah, Ringo said Billy turned out to be a pretty good musician and he was able to perform almost better than Paul. The only problem was that he couldn't get along with John at all. Okay, maybe that my theory wasn't quite right then. Yeah. So this is a full confession, but it isn't recorded. So there's a very real chance this is completely fictitious. However, it does confirm many details conspiracists speculated around before. So I suppose one of the details is there was actually a grave 
in London. It says Paul McCartney and it's dated 11th of September 1966 and it's got his same birthday. Could be coincidence, could be someone's made it on purpose, who knows. Yeah. I guess it's a common name, but I mean, surely you're going to cover it up, you wouldn't bury him in a grave. If, imagine if, if Beatles, a Beatles fan stumbles on that, it become basically like a shrine if they spread the word and realise, oh, Paul McCartney, the dates line up, or it's Paul McCartney's grave, let's all pay our respects and tributes and then then that would open a whole can of words <laughs> the grave actually is the name on it is james paul mccartney which is what paul mccartney's real name is it's, so again that's maybe a little bit of weight to it also from reports around the time beatles fans state that around 1966 they saw a man who looked very much like paul enter paul's home in london but they didn't ask for a picture because although similar he was quite clearly not paul in 1966 an issue of the liverpool echo newspaper also ran a feature with a picture of what many believe to be Paul's replacement, with the headline, Guess Who? With the article speaking about just how different Paul looked and whether he'd had some surgery. Fans said that this was the man they saw enter Paul's home. I guess he could have just had plastic surgery, but I mean, this is kind of quite compelling if his looks changed so much that people didn't recognise him anymore. Well, they recognise him, but thought, you know, maybe it's his brother or something, because there's some clear differences. If you look at pictures side by side, it didn't look a lot different, because back in the day, his face is very round but then post 66 it becomes very long which is something that i don't know why you'd have surgery on that and then obviously maybe, the eye color maybe it's just a free face accident celebrating the 66 world cup <laughs> yeah that'll be it it's just, it's just drugs i don't know yeah i mean he was on a lot of drugs admittedly i think yeah well they all were allegedly how they came up with all the wacky ideas a lot of lsd exactly but many also point to hints at paul's death in the Beatles lyrics and in album artwork post-1966. Sgt Pepper has one of the most famous album covers of all time, which interestingly includes a bloody driving glove next to a toy car, perhaps a clue about Paul dying in a car crash. The Beatles are also pictured in their old clothes of the early 60s, looking down at a grave with the word Beatles on it, mourning a band that has died. The sashes worn by the Beatles on another part of the same album cover, just above the grave, spell out Paul. Another clue on the same album, is that the bass drum features a mirror image of the words 11-9 he died, which is the date theorists claim Paul died in a car crash the 11th of September. Also a very significant date in the world of conspiracies. I mean, when you said 11-9, I was like, oh, it's going to be 9-11, have you used a British date? It turns out it is. Yeah, yeah. The Abbey Road, this is a very famous one. Abbey Road, which is an album that came out in 1969. Allegedly, 1969 was the year that Paul is Dead theories first hit the mainstream, with students in America calling up radio stations to talk about clues and lyrics that they'd found. The Abbey Road cover features the four Beatles crossing Abbey Road. Paul is out of step with the other three, and he has no shoes on. Allegedly, the cover mimics a funeral because of their clothing, with John dressed as a priest, Ringo a pallbearer, Paul the corpse, and George the gravedigger. Clues to the death in the lyrics, including Strawberry Fields Forever, where a voice can be heard saying, I buried Paul. John Lennon addressed this by saying that he actually said cranberry sauce, but he then changed it in a following interview to saying that he actually said, I'm very bored. So surely if he actually said one of these, there wouldn't really be this confusion in two different explanations. Then again, the drugs, I think. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, the drugs. But how, how can anyone mix up cranberry sauce, I buried Paul? I did listen to it, and it does it does sound like I buried Paul, but it's quite distorted and it's quite quiet. So uh, it could equally be the rest. But the fact he gave two explanations is a bit made me a bit yeah. more suspicious. If he stuck with one, I'd be like, okay, yeah, he probably did just say that. It's I mean, suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, some it's mu- some musicians do like to hide little messages and stuff in their music. Like the whole adage: if you play certain rock songs backwards, they praise Satan. 
So yeah. it's not like beyond disbelief that there'll be some certain little mestizal Easter egg type things hidden here and there. It's a bit on the nose. I buried Paul though. Like you wouldn't yeah. put that in accidentally. You wouldn't have thought. And that was played forwards as well. That's not even backwards. So you can listen to yeah. that for yourself. So in the track Revolver Number no. Nine, the words Number Nine are heard being repeated by a studio announcer. But when played backwards in a process called backmasking, the words become Turn Me On, Dead Man. It's bit weird and it definitely does sound like it but it could a be a coincidence or b yeah. it's i mean it just could be anything i mean turn me on dead man isn't that specific okay it's got the word dead man in it but then the beatles do a lot of pat masking in their actual song yeah they did some and you can always hear like little weird yeah. sounds interestingly as well it only really works if you play it backwards on the beatles one because i didn't try it i probably should have but people have tried it themselves and they say that they can't really make it sound like it which could yeah, add I, weight to the fact that it was intentional i suppose i heard an Elton John on song backwards and had absolutely no idea what the hell it could have been what oh, yeah. being said. so in the music video for the song Strawberry Fields Forever Paul is seen tampering with what looks like traffic lights and then on the words in the song Nothing Is Real the camera pans to a close up of Paul or fake Paul's face this then happens again in the following chorus on the same line as well as a close up on Paul for the I know when it's a dream line this creeped me out a bit because I read about it and then I watched it. As soon as it's, it like says in a bit of a creepy voice, nothing is real, and then just pans straight to a massive close-up of Paul's face with like a beard on it and stuff. It was creepy at the time. It was about 11 o'clock at night. But Did, did it look like fake Paul, though? Did it... it looked a bit weird. He did look a bit weird. I'm not sure what the quality was like, but could you make out differences in his eye colour? Yeah, I mean, they look lighter, and his face had this more long look rather than the round, and he had a lot of facial hair, but... Yeah, it was odd. I wanted to go back and have a little look at these now because yeah. this sounds suspicious at least. Yeah, exactly. I tried to mess with people. And I only read about it because when I read about that little thing, it just kind of said, oh, and the first time they say nothing is real. But then, because it's such a good song, I watched the rest of the video. And then when they said nothing is real again, they zoomed in on Paul again. I was like, oh, God, <laughs> going beyond the coincidence now. But yeah, this next bit, again, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. But there is kind of a reason for that. So there's a couple of books called The Memoirs of Billy Shears, written by somebody called Thomas E. U. Harriet, which are allegedly written by the fake Paul McCartney. And they go into great detail around the car crash and what happened in the years afterwards, including surgery and meetings with band members as Billy Shears took over the role of Paul McCartney from the deceased Paul. The book credits Paul McCartney for all of the uh, source material, but also has a legal disclaimer saying this is fiction. Now, something that conspiracy theorists say about this disclaimer is that it's a legal loophole, so that no legal action can be taken, because if the people responsible for the cover-up come across this book, they can just say, well, we just made it all up, we don't know anything about it. But there's a lot of detail in there. You know, it normally adds a bit of credibility to stuff. There's some quite specific details that have later confirmed to be true just around Beatles meetings in general. It's also worth noting that Bram Stoker did write a book on Queen Elizabeth I being a man, so you can't always believe what you read in the book. Well, you believed it. (laughs) I mean, when you always get as much detail as this, you just think they know something, or, you know, they're just incredible writers and just have an insane imagination. But if it's kind of lined up with what other people are saying, that's when I guess you really start to question it. Yeah, Yeah, this is more piece of the puzzle being added as we go along. Mm. Yeah, I went into this theory not really thinking I'd believe much of it, but it is quite convincing yeah. as you go deeper and deeper. The thing is as well, if if like Paul McCartney was to come out tomorrow and on national TV and say, look, this is what's happened, I'm not Paul McCartney, he died then, you'd be like, I oh, Paul McCartney's actually lost it. Yeah, <laughs> Drug, exactly. There's just no way you say this was true. No one would ever believe it, really. Yeah. Even though it was announced by Paul himself. This book does say that 
he plans to reveal it on his deathbed. So we'll see what happens. We'll be around for that, surely. We should be. Once, we, once if he has a very sudden death, though, that's the problem. Yeah. Or he's just replaced again. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, he died again in 2015. <laughs> he's indispensable. I mean, he performed at the Olympic ceremony, didn't he? Yeah, he still does valuable. the odd show. Wouldn't be surprised if they were to replace him. No, he was meant to headline Glastonbury this year, but coronavirus. So in a 1964 interview... The real Paul, aged 24, states that he plans to retire in the next two years, which would be 1966, coinciding with his alleged death. So this actually has led people to think maybe he wanted out of the Beatles early and then he was maybe murdered you know, and then replaced so as to not end the Beatles prematurely and to try and keep making a lot of money. The only fear is that he just retired and they had to take the lookalike anyway and he just went off to live somewhere else. Yeah, there are a few that say he like faked a death and was replaced. But I mean, you wouldn't even have to do the fake and the death part. You could just be replaced. Uh, but a few details here that I found really interesting... So Paul McCartney, in an interview around 15 years ago, said that he joined the Beatles as an already set up and well-established affair. However, in official Beatles lore, Paul and John were the founders. They then brought in George and finally Ringo. And surely Paul, if anyone, would remember this correctly. In the same interview, he also recalls having a number of jobs before joining the Beatles. However, according to interviews at the time, back in the 60s, he came straight out of school and joined the band age 15. So is this a case of the fake Paul getting his story mixed up with his own real-life story? Maybe just Paul McCartney, the real Paul McCartney in his old age, and he gets a bit confused, I don't know. It was 15 years ago, though. It wasn't that, wasn't really that uh, old. No, it was, yeah. Drugs going to his head. Yeah, you never know. Um, that seems slightly odd because surely you think you're, you're the, one of the biggest bands the world has ever seen. You'd probably like to remember your origin story. And you'd be proud of the fact that you and John founded it and then brought the others in. You wouldn't say, oh yeah, I joined it. Because he literally says, like, oh, the Beatles were obviously already set up and then I came in. And but I was, was a one man band of John Lennon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and a similar mix up happened in an interview with George, Ringo, and Paul where George and Ringo refer to Paul as the new fella, and George talks about trying to be nice to Paul when he joined so that the other members of the band would like him. However, as touched on, Paul officially joined before both Ringo and George. I think I've actually heard that the new fella comment, at least. Yeah. It does ring a bell. Again, it doesn't really make any sense why he'd be referred to as that. Unless it's just sort of, sort of reverse psychology sort of banter. You know, you think, oh, he's the, he's the founder, we'll call him the new fella. Yeah, I mean, yeah, possibly. I don't know if you remember, but as touched on before, the name written in the book and a lot of conspiracy theorists say that the new Paul was called was William or Billy. And fascinatingly, in a meeting with George, Paul enters the room and George says, hello, William. Nice to see you. Neither of them realise they're being filmed until Paul clocks the camera, stops immediately, walks to the camera and says, come on, turn it off. And I've actually watched this footage and there really is no explanation. Um, and another example of this is in the 1984 film outtakes for Give My Regards to Broad Street, Paul McCartney enters the room and is again greeted by, hello, do you know William? Again, he's being referred to as William, which is strange. Another reference to William comes from John Lennon's Imagine film, where he refers to the Beatles as the Fab Three and Beatle Bill or William. When they talk about Beatle Bill, someone says, what happened to Beatle Bill? And John says, he's not doing too badly. He's number five in Sweden. Then John gives an exaggerated wink to the camera. This to me was so weird because when you watch it, John then is like, oh yeah, when I was in the, the Fab Three and Beetle Bill. And then when he says, uh, oh yeah, Beetle Bill's not doing too bad in Sweden. Massive wink to the camera. It's like the most obvious hint that he's hiding something that I've ever seen. I mean, were you able to line up the dates and check if Beetle Bill slash Paul McCartney was number five in the Swedish charts? 
No, I was tempted, and then it would have involved like going through too much stuff that I thought it wasn't worth it. I think yeah. as we've been going through this, my believability is slowly ramping up for yeah. like who was. <laughs> Honestly, you should see that wink from John when he's talking about Beetle Bill. It is crazy. I'll try and send you wasn't, the link afterwards. Wasn't there like a fifth member of the Beatles? The guy that everyone called the fifth member. Of the- no, some basically somebody. Um, I'm guessing was in the original Beatles, just when they're in the clubs. Oh no, it might have even been a manager who said this band will never go anywhere, so he quit. And then they obviously became the biggest group full time. <laughs> but yeah, it's like all the publishers that turned down J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. How are you to know? In all fairness, and yeah, I know. So yeah, all these strange examples give weight to the theory that Paul was replaced by a replacement named William, and there are many, many more references to William or Bill by the Beatles post-1966. In the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech, George and Ringo attended, but John was sadly dead at this point, and Paul didn't attend. In the speech, George says that he accepts on behalf of what's left of the Beatles, and states that they all loved John very much, and they all loved Paul very much, both in the past tense. So again, a bit odd. Could be a slip of the tongue and he just didn't mean to say it, or it could have been a nod to Paul who had perhaps died in 66. So yeah, I suppose that kind of wraps this one up. So what do you think, guys? Was Paul killed in the car crash in 1966 and replaced with a lookalike? Or is this all just a coincidence? I'm going to go for a like to a stronger maybe, I think. <laughs> it's certainly got a lot to it. If this uh, wink and the Beetle Bill comments are as, say, stunning as you um, seem to mention, basically I'm all for it. You think they do, these rock stars do a lot of interviews and maybe an old slip of the tongue here and there is inevitable, really, when you're discussing what is essentially a massive cover-up for the biggest band of all time. So imagine if that got out. Yeah, exactly. It would be huge. And plus some of the Im- the imagery and stuff like that seems very deliberate when you're talking about their albums and music videos as well. I mean, as as much as, say, a cut-up to a, cl- uh, a close-up of a band member's face is fairly commonplace in music videos, timing it with those lyrics and mm. also I mean, having it recurring, I don't know. It's, there's certainly a lot to get you thinking then. And, and in that video as well, you have Paul messing with the traffic lights, wouldn't it? And allegedly died, you know, in a car crash. Exactly. And I suppose you think physical differences as well. Maybe uh, drugs might have caused some damage when you age them up a bit. So you have to have some reconstructive surgery. And then changing eye colour, that's not really... I'm not sure if they had coloured contact lenses in that. They just started to play a very, very long practical joke with Paul McCartney's eyes. But that's the thing. I think as soon as your explanation for the official one starts getting more mental than the conspiracy i think you have to add a bit of weight to the conspiracy yeah but as, as, a, as a conspiracy as a whole i i came into this one thinking yeah there's no way right you can't just replace someone as to how close the lookalike is but so the image change the beatles underwent pre and post sergeant pepper going from being relatively clean cut to long hippie beards and long hair i'm gonna i'll give it this one eight and a half out of ten for the conspiracy as a whole and for believability i'm, I'm willing to entertain this one actually i think i'll go for i think i'll go for a six point five just because there's so much maybe all circumstantial evidence when you all piece it together it does become quite compelling yeah very solid ratings there Luke what do you reckon yeah you can't really go wrong with a conspiracy like this I mean I feel like with so many major music acts there's conspiracies obviously you've got Michael Jackson conspiracies which are a bit dark as such and then obviously you've got Elvis Presley still being alive and the Beatles are no exception to that. Um, they're such a huge band and, you know, given how big they were at the time, if Paul McCartney was to sadly pass away, you wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do something to cover it up so they could carry on because with all due respect to the other members, I mean, Paul and John were probably by far the most popular and without Paul, the band just wouldn't be the same. Um, I, th- I think the girls, especially as John mentioned, really swooned after Paul. Yeah, so overall as a conspiracy, it's got to be higher. It's got to be a 9 out of 10. Just for the fact that, you know, 
covering up one of the most famous men of all life's deaths for the past uh, you know 55 years or so. In terms of believability, you, you just can't deny some of the stuff. It's very odd. I guess you have to remember that the Beatles went for this kind of psychedelic look and they're all on drugs and may have done some weird things. Uh, I would like to watch the music video you mentioned um, to check it out for myself about them saying it's not nothing's real and then zooming to Paul. It's definitely creepy, but you would also feel it quite weird for them to allude to it if they're meant to be covering it up. That was their style though, wasn't it? They're very out there. Yeah. Said what they thought most of the time and it was all in the ear of hiding weird messages and things. Plus as with your rock stars, you're know, getting what you want to push the boundaries as much as you can, you think. As bad as it is to say, it'll be nice to look forward to Paul McCartney's death. <laughs> See if he's got anything to say on his death. But, uh, obviously, it won't be nice. But This podcast will probably go viral if he does. So. <laughs> There's one positive. It's, it's interesting. I'm going to give it... It's not totally outlandish, but it's quite outlandish. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of ten on the believability scale. Somewhere somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah that's fair enough. So, yeah, my thoughts quickly. I really enjoyed doing this conspiracy like like you touched on, it's one of the most famous people of all time. So the fact that he's been dead for 55 years or whatever, and he's been covered up this whole time would be fascinating. So I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 for the conspiracy on that point. Believability. Now, as touched on, there were so many little hints from band members and songs and album covers and all this kind of stuff, and a lot of detail in the books. And then obviously the alleged interview with Ringo, but there's not really any proof that happened. So I'm not going to let that one sway me too much. But yeah, there are obvious changes in his appearance over time, whether you can say that's a natural thing. Maybe, but his head shape does change quite a lot and his eye colour definitely does. But again, it is difficult because I always kind of come back to the fact of does the Paul McCartney of today look reasonably like the Paul McCartney of the early 60s? And the answer is yes. So it's quite difficult. But I mean, there certainly were differences around the time that raise eyebrows and like touch on so many little hints and things. So I think for believability, I'm going to go with a... I'll go for six and a half. Yeah, that was a really good conspiracy, John. I mentioned at the start of the um, episode that we're going to be looking at some more light-hearted, lesser-known conspiracies, but that's definitely not the case today, is it? Some really <laughs> deep conspiracies and also some really well-known research theories, so thanks for that. I understand Callum's also going to present an also relatively well-known and not very light-hearted conspiracy for us. That is very true. So yeah, carrying on off the themes of, let's say, celebrity death, we've got my theory, which surrounds one of the most prominent members of the infamous 27 Club of influential musicians who all died aged 27. Members of this club include Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Amy Winehouse, to name a few. But this conspiracy concerns Kurt Cobain, founder and frontman of one of the biggest bands of all time, Nirvana whose music provided the soundtrack to an entire generation and still remains relevant today. I've blasted a lot of Nirvana during my teenage years. I still do dip into them from time to time. <laughs> I'd say I've listened to a single one of their songs. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you have. You know I mean, smells yeah, like I, I Teen Spirit. One, I've ever like search one. I mean, I'm sure they've got good music. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, it's not Swedish house music or Crazy Frog. <laughs> I do think there's a misconception around their music that people think it's a lot heavier than it is. People have oh yeah, definitely. Them. But it's some of it is it is heavy because it's the attitude. Yeah, it can be. But it's got light and shade, like all good music. Yeah. So Cobain's death on the eighth of April, nineteen ninety four, was officially ruled as a suicide via self inflicted shotgun wound. A verdict that conspiracy theorists view as highly contentious. To fully understand this theory, it's definitely worth recounting the background and events leading up to his death. 
as well as the official story in Cobain's already fraught mental state. Despite being an incredibly talented songwriter and frontman, Cobain was a very troubled individual. Long before his struggle with a rapid ascension to fame and notoriety, Cobain had exhibited signs of mental instability, which many trace back to his parents' separation when he was just nine. Along with being diagnosed with depression, he was afflicted by a debilitating stomach condition, which caused him to self-medicate heroin, amongst other substances. Cobain is quoted as saying that heroin was the only thing saving me from shooting myself right now during a 1991 European tour where his stomach pains were becoming unbearable. His cousin Beverly, a nurse, stated that the singer's family had a history of suicides, where in fact that two of his uncles had killed themselves using guns. On the 3rd of March 1994, just over one month before his death, Kurt was hospitalised in Rome following an overdose of painkillers. While his management team had described the overdose as accidental, Cobain's wife, Courtney Love, alleged that it had been a suicide attempt during which he took 50 pills. 50 yeah, pills? That is a lot. I don't think he's apparently just knocking them back, but in no regard for his health. After a domestic dispute with his wife on the 18th of March, where Kurt locked himself in a room and threatened suicide with a revolver, Cobain went, underwent a family intervention regarding his declining mental state. He later checked himself into an LA rehab centre where he spent two days before checking himself out, or more accurately, jumping the wall and escaping on the 31st of March. The last time Cobain was seen alive was the 2nd of April 1994. The day before, he spoke to his wife for the last time via phone call, saying, Courtney, no matter what happens, I want you to know that you made a really good record. She replied, well, what do you mean? Then he followed up with, just remember, no matter what, I love you. Within a week of his disappearance, Cobain was reported missing by his family and his wife, Courtney Love, hired private investigator Tom Grant to find him. On the 8th of April, 1994, the worst was confirmed. Kurt Cobain's body was discovered in a greenhouse above the garage at his Seattle house by an electrician who had arrived that morning to install security lighting. Did it really take him six days to find his body and it was his out? Yeah, I was going to get into that in just a second. <laughs> Okay, but I think he'd been lying. It'd been there for around three days, if reports are to be believed. I suppose because no one really knew exactly what went on during those days. Oh, so he was reported missing before he was. Yeah. So a Remington Model Eleven twenty gauge shotgun was purchased by his friend Dylan, and it was this was the one that was found on his chest as a suicide weapon. A suicide note was also found by his body, along with a cigar box that Kurt Cobain used to store his gear for shooting heroin. The events between his last confirmed sighting on the 2nd of April and discovery of his body on the 8th are sketchy, but police believe that Cobain wandered around Seattle for a few days, possibly stopping to buy ammunition at a gun store. Unconfirmed reports claim to have seen Cobain near his home, looking ill and wearing a long, thick coat, unsuitable for the April weather. The official story is that on the 5th of April 1994, Kurt barricaded himself into his greenhouse by pushing a stool against the door, injected himself with heroin before writing a one-page suicide note in red ink. He then drew up a chair overlooking the window, injected again, then placed the barrel of the shotgun in his mouth, pulling the trigger with his thumb. In a cruel twist of fate, Tom Grant, the private investigator hired by his wife, arrived in Seattle on the 6th of April, too late to find any trace of Kurt alive. Before Grant had the chance to visit Kurt's Seattle residence, he received news that Kurt's body had been found. Interestingly, Tom Grant's subsequent investigations were the findings that went on to inspire several documentaries that would allege that Kurt Cobain's death was not suicide, following his revelation that he believed the death was actually homicide. The uh, first area of contention reported by Grant was Cobain's capability of pulling the trigger while under the influence of heroin. 
toxicology tests determined that the level of morphine in Cobain's bloodstream was 1.52 milligrams per liter, and there was also evidence of Valium in his system. Can I just say one thing that you've, you know, this investigator yeah. you're on about? He was hired by Courtney. Yeah. So I think that straight away kind of adds weight because he, if he was hired by her and he's still going against and almost incriminating her. Yeah, it? definitely. It's you have to be quite brave and with a good reason. He was reason. also took care to record a lot of uh, basically every single conversation he'd had with Courtney or any in relevant parties. He was quite meticulous in his work. Mm. So back to the uh, toxicology thing. Dr. Randall Bastolt of the Chemical Toxicology Institute stated that Cobain's heroin level was at a high concentration by any account. But of course, the strength of that dose would depend on many factors, including how habituated Cobain was to the drug, which as allegations in general, people who knew Kurt knew he was a very frequent user and been using for several years. Heroin turns to morphine once it enters a person's bloodstream. And the level in Cobain was triple the maximum lethal dose to a severe addict, which, according to Grant, would have rendered Kurt incapable of lifting the Model 11 shotgun to his mouth and pulling the trigger. It's also another thing, this shotgun is very long, so you'd have to mm. really stretch to fit it in his mouth and actually pull the trigger. It was even, that even was the case. I heard he was even one step further, that the, the length of it and his arm length physically couldn't have put it in his own mouth and pulled the trigger. Yeah, I thought I saw a picture of it as well, I was pressing that in my head thinking, yeah, that's a very big weapon for a suicide. I guess the thing is, it was three times the legal, uh, not the legal, but the uh, lethal, lethal. <laughs> the lethal death limit. Why would they need to shoot him if, if they supposedly carried this out? I guess, um, do they just to make sure, I think maybe they frame it as more of a murder yeah. I mean, I guess it's one of them details that gets get past quite easily. That you because I suppose you know, the heroin itself could have been you made it seem like appear like a suicide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they they could make the case that he just had that one last hit and then killed himself. I mean, I don't know what heroin feels like, but I'd imagine being three times with the lethal amount, you've got a pretty big hit. You're gonna be. <laughs> yeah. You think I mean, basically I, comatose? I think for some like, reason, for some reason yeah. at school, we I don't know if either of you two were in this, but we were having this talk about drugs and someone was just talking about, they were a former drug addict and they're just talking about how great heroin was. And I came out that classroom and I actually want to try it because they're, they're literally saying it's like 40 times more pleasurable than an orgasm. And I was like, oh. he's not, he's kind of selling it to us rather than putting us off. Yeah. It's like um, Sean Atwood and Wildman, when they talk, because they do talks to kids trying to put, kids off taking drugs and stuff i saw an interview of Wildman, and they were like so you can just describe to us what meth uh, feels like and he's like oh it's lovely <laughs> best feeling in the world <laughs> like, that's not really the attitude you should be having exactly how you put them off <laughs> there is a reason why people do it because it makes you feel good exactly I mean, given that the health risks that come with it it must have to feel insanely good yeah so i would like to add the co-conspirators do not condone taking no anything. absolutely not i think with heroin as well your first high is your only proper high and then you just spend the rest of the time addicted to yeah, and then it. The increase the dose increase the dose trying to feel Something, especially if you're yeah. sort of self-medicating for what Kurt had like a very bad stomach condition is like very widely reported <clears throat> in his biography and from friends and family members and to say back to the theory in terms of the heroin concentrations so these ones referenced by the investigator were reported in a newspaper and not taken from the official autopsy report so their accuracy could definitely be questioned especially when considering that the records of autopsies in the US are confidential and not reported to the media very interesting yeah so another area of contention 
is the suicide letter that was found by Kurt's body, which Grant believes was actually intended to be a letter written by Cobain, announcing his intention to disband Nirvana and leave the music industry, as well as his plan to divorce his wife, Courtney Love. Freddie Mercury stuff. Pretty much. It's quite, quite a long, well, long page, just written in small writing, except for the final few lines, which is the only one that actually referenced suicide. Yeah. I have read it a few years ago when I looked at this case, and it is very interesting. It's quite sad as well, actually. Really. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say from understand why people have drawn this conclusion. It's hard to really discern any feeling or intentions of suicide from the initial bulk of the text, really. And also this plan was later confirmed in an interview with Howard Stern by drummer Dave Grohl, who basically confirmed that Kurt had planned to disband Nirvana in 1994. So this um, final part of the letter I mentioned, Kurt writes a final goodbye to Courtney and his daughter Frances urging them to carry on without him and it's written in much larger text and does not really match the format of the rest of the letter it's a lot more erratically spaced despite considerable analysis by several handwriting experts the verdict as to whether the note was entirely written in kurt's hand is inconclusive but some had highlighted the aforementioned lines as being suspicious also regarding the note and weapon there have been questions raised about the apparent absence of fingerprints on both the items already tested for fingerprints a month after the body was discovered so it's a bit suspicious especially considering that there's no evidence that Kurt Cobain was wearing any gloves or anything that would have prevented fingerprints from showing I guess it was straight off the bat for a few moments it was treated as total suicide and there was no question of suspicion. Yeah, that was the, that was the um, thing the police were very quick to say they ruled it as suicide immediately upon so I, I guess finding the body. So I guess could get contaminated because they don't have any intention of actually upkeeping the evidence. Exactly, yeah, that's also one of the maybe same mistake which of course many to request the case be reopened. So as John mentioned, and play Paul hangs up, the majority of this investigation took place while Grant was under the employment of Courtney Love, having initially been tasked with tracking down Cobain when he was reported missing. So this raises the question, where was Courtney Love during the week leading up to her husband's death? Well, on the 7th of April, she was admitted to hospital following expected drug overdose. Two and a half hours later, she was discharged and immediately arrested for possession of a controlled substance, possession of drug paraphernalia, and also possession of a hypodermic syringe. She was released at around 3pm after posting $10,000 bail, but she immediately checked herself into the Exodus Recovery Centre, the same LA rehab facility from which her husband had escaped a week earlier. The following day, April the 8th, she checked herself out when she received word her husband had been found. Could this have been an attempt to establish a solid alibi? Grant certainly believes so. He spoke with the family's lawyer, Rosemary Carroll, who urged him to investigate the circumstances of Cobain's death. According to Grant, Carroll, the lawyer, found evidence of love practicing someone's handwriting, possibly Kurt's. Yeah, it's there's um, seen a memo, basically a pad of paper with a lot of what is definite hand writing practice, just no discernible sense of just practicing letters. That was really weird. I suppose on the subject of her alibi, it's only not the theories that I've read. None of them have her as the killer, just that she hired one. Yeah, well, I'll come on to that briefly in a little bit. So, yeah, so it's no one's saying that she was the killer because she was in a completely different area of America, like Seattle and L.A. But like you say, it almost seems like too obvious, you know, voluntarily checking yourself into rehab and stuff just so you can be placed elsewhere. Yeah, well, what gets even more incriminating is that the lawyer also stated that Courtney Love wrote a memo to herself to, quote-unquote, get arrested which, as we mentioned earlier, did transpire in the days before Cobain was found dead. Courtney Love has never commented publicly on these allegations, but according to Tom Grant, in a taped conversation, 
She'd expressed doubts about Cobain's suicide before saying it's just a theory and just hanging up. Then she also very, very surprised when Grant confronted her saying, oh shit, and then hanging up. So this may be a, potentially a Freudian slip or just porking your mind gets ahead of yourself. I don't know. It's, just, it's hard to place what someone's, what someone's saying in the phone of a high-pressure situation. Imagine your husband's dead and people are maybe suspecting you. So I don't really like to get to you, but certainly very suspicious. I guess Freudian slips are more common than people realising those kind of situations just because of the pressure you're under. Like, I, I know for a fact that if I was accused of a murder and I was innocent, totally innocent, if I was in court, I'd be absolutely sweating, looking guilty as fuck. I know, yeah. <laughs> if I was on trial for murder and I didn't do it, I still reckon I'd fail the line. No, I think I would, yeah. Just some shit myself oh, so genuinely. Much. I know I'm innocent. I'd be thinking, like, the jury's probably thinking I'm guilty and I'll probably look guilty as hell. Yeah. It's the way they try to torture and try to trip you up, catch you out and stuff, like ask questions, but um, questions, twisting different questions. So you may, if you, if you accidentally give a different answer to two questions that are same meaning but worded differently, they start to press and probe. People do say strange things, don't they, in grief. I know Paul McCartney's very famous for On The Day. John Lennon was killed. Someone said, well, what are your thoughts on it? How are you feeling? And I think he just said, oh, yeah, it's a real drag, isn't it? Like, he seemed very stone-faced. But different, again, I think he's probably yeah, in just shock. shock. different grieving process. You don't really want to come to terms yeah. with it. Back to the theory again. So if Tom Grant's allegations are to be believed, what, what was the motive that would drive someone, namely courtly love, to either kill or arrange for Kurt Cobain to be killed and also disguise it as suicide? So Grant has recordings of Love discussing Cobain seeking a divorce from her. Love and Cobain had a prenup agreement, as she initially seemed destined to become a bigger star. However, nobody could have predicted the overnight success that Nirvana would become after the album Nevermind dropped in 1991, which saw Cobain propelled into stardom, basically eclipsing Love completely, becoming one of the biggest rock stars it's on the planet. It's pretty good when a prenup backfires on that. I know, I like that. I really like that, because she's definitely yeah. the one. If she was going to be the biggest star, she's gone right around a prenup. You're not getting <laughs> any of my money. And then he becomes the big one, screws herself over. Yeah. I mean, many thought the relationship was rocky, I think, from the out- from an outside looking here. Well, I think it I was. Even their personalities as well. Yeah, some I've read Cobain's biography on. But it seems like initially it was sort of like a really tight relationship, then just drugs, alcohol, everything else. The rock star lifestyle has gotten away. Well, he has. I've seen interviews where he speaks very highly of her. But I mean, things can change, especially in a high pressure yeah. environment. Things can change very I quickly. mean, reportedly he wanted to have like the perfect family life, given that his childhood was so rough, given the separation. But his, and I think that's, his daughter really cemented that. I think that's one of the main reasons a lot of people think he didn't kill himself because he always wanted like a daughter and then he got one and he she was his world and people close to him say he never would have left her behind yeah so that's what also maybe calls into question more than words on the at the end of the suicide note where he mentions Francis oh, the world would go on without me essentially yeah so but yeah as we mentioned the whole prenup arrangement if the couple divorced love stood to suffer financially but I'm not really sure how much that would have affected her given her band was still doing well and she was about, about to release say the breakthrough album or the album that would be their career defining for them people greedy exactly doesn't seem too money motivated but assuming Nirvana were worth a hell of a hell of a lot so she would be yeah still- also Grant theorises that love would have gained potentially a lot of sympathy for if Kurt Cobain committed suicide rather than if he divorced her so in his mind probably quite good publicity yeah especially because a week after his death her album was scheduled to be released number one was it I imagine it went up there I didn't actually look it up but it was their biggest 
one, I think. So, yeah. I mean, it's just a, just a cruel twist of fate sort of thing, just coincidental coincidence, because these things are stepped in place months in advance. But so these rages really, we've mentioned, just apparently what Grant could be the motive behind the murder. It's not just Grant who has um, been investigating this case. It's caught the eye of quite a lot of conspiracy theorists, filmmakers and the like. So one of the most interesting revelations to have arisen from this case concerns a documentary made by Nick Broomfield, Part of his investigation, the filmmaker spoke to the frontman of a band called The Mentors, Eldon L. Juice Hoke, who made the outrageous claim that Courtney Love offered him 50000 to kill her husband. This is a documentary I've seen. I find it really interesting. And I know what you're about to say as yeah. well. So L. Juice also claimed to know who committed the murder, but named no names and offered no evidence. But very interestingly, he passed a lie detector while a test while recounting his story. But um, the, later, oh. the band bassist would just say the story was all made up to sell tabloids. What lie detectors like ninety-seven percent accurate? Something yeah. like that picks up on physiological signs. That's what they've been manipulated as well. But I, I guess as well, a lot of this good publicity for this guy as well coming out and saying that, and people checking out his band. He was as I saw his band. He was known for being a base of shock value and trying to be as controversial as possible, so like Gigi Allen style. I take it you're going to say the next thing about El Duce or however you say it. Yes. Yeah, so conspiracy theorists would highlight the okay, revelation good. as a smoking gun, given the fact that El Duce died a few days after the interview in seemingly suspicious circumstances. Yeah. Okay, now that, that is incredibly suspicious. Yeah, and, he, and he'd also agreed, I think, to do another interview with them. I think they were planned on pressing him a bit more. And then obviously... I think he let one slip that. and said, oh, no, that's just a friend. I think some guy called Andy. Yeah, yeah. He, he said, oh, but we'll let the FBI get him. How did he yeah. die? So he was decapitated by a freight train after attempting to cross some train tracks. Jesus Christ. So, His foot yeah. got trapped in the rail line and, yeah, train was coming, tried to run across. But it's kind of worth noting that El Juice was an alcoholic and was drunk at the time of the incident. But still, you think, only a few days after the interview, there'd be another cruel twist of fate, another massive coincidence. But it certainly it fuels the fire for the conspiracy theorists, that's for sure. 100%. I think there were eyewitnesses as well who said they saw him having an argument or something near the train tracks, so could have been pushed just because of that argument or it could have been the person confronting him and trying to kill yeah, him. Yeah, I think there's definitely witnesses who say, he think what I read was someone called him across, he turned and just went, just maybe the drunkest they didn't check to check. That's a freight train's yeah. barreling down the line. If someone's call you across when there's a train coming, I mean, that's a bit dodgy. I wouldn't call one of you no. across. The train track, if the train's coming. Yeah, I'd hope not. <laughs> so, Broomfield's film, entitled Curtin Courtney, was released on the 27th of February 1998 and reached the conclusion that Kurt had committed suicide and there was no conspiracy. Journalists Halperin and Wallace followed a similar path and attempted to investigate the murder theory themselves. Their initial work, the 1999 book Who Killed Kurt Cobain, drew a similar conclusion to Broomfield's film. While there wasn't enough evidence to conclusively prove foul play, there's more than enough demand that the case be reopened. Have you seen the first documentary, The Broomfield? Not in its entirety. I watched through it just as part of my research, sort of just not clicking through it. Because I remember that um, conclusion. I remember being really shocked by it because the whole documentary is basically pointing you at he was murdered, he was murdered, he was murdered. And then right only in the last few minutes, they say, 
oh, but we can't be sure about any of this, so he probably killed himself. And I remember being a bit taken aback and thinking, well, this isn't what you've presented to the whole document. And now you've come to be presenting potentially evidence of foul play. I think actually making that allegation state, oh, it's definitively believe he was murdered. Playing a dangerous game, investigating a potential assassination or murder. So these journalists I just briefly mentioned also collaborated with Tom Grant to write a second book, 2004's Love and Death, The Murder of Kurt Cobain, which also reached a similar conclusion. So I'm not sure if Grant himself believes that theory, given he has been an active proponent of the murder theory, but it's interesting just given... Mm. It's another one we probably will never know exactly what happened because he wasn't found for three days... Yeah, it is weird. And also the fact that he was instantly ruled as a suicide by the police would have meant that evidence would have been handled differently, I think. There would be a lot less investigation taking place. Well, I think there's precedent for doing that. But I think the rules, I could be wrong, but I've seen it on a few just normal mainstream TV programmes that basically if they find a note, they just say, oh, well, it's suicide then. They, and they tend not to press it any further. Yeah, that definitely rings a bell. Imagine if you're rocking up to the scene, though, because you know, you see a body, shotgun in mouth, heroin, gear, no. Almost too convenient, you can I suppose, yeah, but you're not thinking in terms of conspiracies as a police officer, really. But yeah, so this is no doubt a fascinating conspiracy theory surrounding one of the most famous musicians of the 20th century. Do you think his wife arranged his murder, or was it the case of a star shining too brightly and burning out? Love that theory. It's one I've been aware of for probably a good few years yeah. now. I think one thing I'm not sure whether you touched on as well is Courtney's dad. He is. He always says to this day that she definitely killed him. I didn't mention that, uh, but I have. I did read that. So yeah, it's quite damning that. I suppose the counter to it would be that I don't think they have a very good relationship. So it could be saying it despite her. No matter how fractious the relationship, yeah. your own father is that critical of you. I think it's that lowly of your character. That's got to hold a little bit of weight. Well, yeah, exactly. I suppose the other weird thing that I was fine with it is, you know, I suppose, is it coincidental that, because he didn't own a gun, and so he only gets lent one from his friend, and then he's suddenly, within a week or whatever of having it, he's killed himself. And it's almost like if he was really that suicidal and would do it with a gun, I feel like he would have just bought one, rather than waited to be loaned one. I think he went went and actually bought the gun with a friend before he went into rehab, because the police had taken his guns away from him after the March 18th incident, where he threatened to kill himself with a revolver. But he yeah. met up this friend and said he wanted to buy a gun for security. The friend was was sort of a bit reserved about actually giving it to him, given what had transpired, but mm. Kurt was insistent and ended up with the gun. Well, he beats himself up about it to this day that our friend's and you know, almost blaming Understandably, himself, which Yeah, I mean, Kirk, I mean, he's going to probably get his way, you think, in the day on that yeah. one. Yeah. If you weren't going to give it him, someone else yeah. was. Overall, like I say, it's similar to the last one. I mean, it's such a huge figure in music, such an icon, you know, arguably more so because of the circumstances and his abrupt death dying at really at his peak. So the overall conspiracy that he was actually murdered and, you know, one of the most famous suicides of all time wasn't a suicide. It's gets a nine out of ten for me overall. Oh, glad to hear it. Yeah. Hope I did just, just given you know the theory. <laughs> no, definitely not. And yeah, believability, I think, because it's one I've known about for a while and I've kind of made my mind up beforehand. There are a few details in here that I weren't aware of. There's a lot of suspicious things, you know, the handwriting, the fact that if they were divorced, or even if he stopped making music, she would have missed out on a lot of money. Mm. The fact that he was so close to his daughter and she was his world and then to just leave her in a shit show of circumstances that is going to scar her for life wouldn't seem like a very fatherly thing to do. 
and then like the drug levels i mean just everything about it does make it very suspicious i suppose the things that add weight to the fact that he committed suicide is allegedly he'd had attempts before although i have heard that those were fabricated by court yeah especially the, the rome incident people believe was fabricated yeah that's the one i'd heard and of, also yeah. the 18th incident march 18th incident he said to the police he didn't actually meet, think he was going to do it, it was just using it like a threat, like a blackmail tactic sort of thing. Just like things yeah. wind her up or well, that's very extreme, but you know, <laughs> you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. So yeah, I think like you say, the fact that he may or may not have had previous of threatened to do these things adds a bit of weight maybe to the official story. And then obviously that just he was a rock star on loads of drugs. And it wouldn't be the first time that something like this had happened. But yeah, I think overall for believability. Oh, I'm going to go for a 7.5. Oh, that is quite high, yeah. I'm certainly more in the camp of he was murdered than he committed suicide. But I wouldn't rule out that he committed suicide completely. Yeah, what are you, Luke? Yeah, I think in terms of conspiracy as a whole, like, apart from arguably Michael Jackson, this is probably the biggest music conspiracy there really is because he was such a star at the time. His death came as quite a shock and given it was a suicide and there's contentions to that it's, it's really interesting i mean you've also done a lot of research gone into a lot of detail it's personally something i'd heard of but didn't really know anything about and it's interesting to hear the story so i'm gonna give it a nine out of ten as a conspiracy in terms of believability just looking from a perspective like john where i haven't really heard too much about it before there's a lot of suspicious activity for sure especially the handwriting i find that pretty incredible and if that happened to be true that would just be so damning wouldn't it you can easily look it up if you want to. Yeah, the whole note's online. Yeah, that's incredible. And there's also so many convenient situations, how it all played out. I think as well at the same time, you think of Kurt Cobain, like he's stereotyped as a mentally unstable drug addict. So a suicide definitely wasn't out of the question. And I mean, I guess this was an episode that could have very much happened. I think the thing that I find a bit suspicious is you mentioned that he went out to buy the gun with his friend a week before. I don't really understand why he'd do that. Unless he was just a huge gun addict. You know, he'd had them taken off him, but that timing seems a bit damning. Yeah, there's really an explanation for that. He told his friend it was for security. You can see why you'd want one being that famous. I guess as an American as well, when such a large percentage of the population has a gun. I I don't know where Kurt Cobain's actually from, what state, but I mean, certain states. Seattle's Seattle's not really one of them. No, I think think Kurt Cobain is quite anti-redneck. Strong in bloom. Mm. There's some damning evidence for sure, but I'm leaning towards the fact that he did kill himself just because he was mentally unstable and he was a heroin addict. And I think of all the types of drugs, I think heroin leads itself most to depression and suicide. Although that's often money-related because it's obviously so expensive and that wasn't really an issue for him. But I think it's a very depressive drug. So I'm going to give it, similar to the Paul McCartney one, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10 for believability. There's definitely the potential, um, something that we'd probably never find out. Yeah, that's perfectly understandable. I think, yeah, you just take into account how unstable he was and everything that went on with drug addictions. He was very, very unhappy, that's for sure. And many of his friends had basically seen yeah. him becoming more and more insular as fame got yeah. to him, really. I think the thing is as well, um, I, I, don't, I don't know too much about it, but where was his daughter at the time? Was was he kind of living full-time with her or were they separated at that point? No, they were, they were still together, but I think the daughter, I'm not sure the daughter was with a nanny, I think, just yeah. because of, um, but Kurt had gone to rehab, escapes, corny, then 
end up in rehab and checked herself out. I guess if he was thinking of a divorce and, you know, he was a such a huge drug addict, he'd probably be wary of losing any court case or don't court any love. So obviously went into rehab, so not sure how that would go down. But if he was to lose his daughter and he knew that was a possibility, that could also, you know, just wreak havoc with his brain. So that's one thing that's compel- most compelling for me that, that he had his daughter, he was so happy and she was as strong, so he feels his world. And that sort of urged me a bit more to the side of, no, he wouldn't have committed suicide. But for my overall rating, I think, yes, easily a 9 out of 10 for me. It's just such a big incident. And also, what's quite very sad, really, is it did inspire several sort of copycat instances amongst fans who actually heard the news and, Jeez. yeah, there's a report, I think, of fans just inspired. I'm not sure if that's the correct word for it, but just who were so in love with Kurt, they couldn't carry on without him. So they thought it was almost like a symbolic gesture or something like that. But as believability goes, I, it's, it could, it's possible, again, it could just go one of two ways. There's enough contentious evidence that definitely warrants a case to be reopened, given how so many things could have been discarded because they found a suicide note instantly ruled it for suicide. Like, the actual note itself wasn't really given too much initial thought until Grant got hold of it. And then the mechanics of firing this very long shotgun well under the influence of a lot of heroin and the potential for Courtney Love to actually end up benefiting financially from it. Because, I mean, she's been described as a sort of manipulative and sort of, sort of not, not very nice person by people close to the family. And they say even if her father believes, or if he's just trying to stir the pot or whatever, but certainly quite damning to be described as a potential murderer by your own father. But I think, I don't know, with the whole mental illness side of things, and I think Pastor Kurt has, he has made light of it. There's rumours that he wasn't going to play Reading Festival because of a drug overdose or something. So he rock rolls up on the stage in a wheelchair, and Ivy line stands up and instantly collapses before launching into the first song. It's like part of a little stage trick. Certainly able of making light of things when, but he was definitely a very troubled individual. So my believability, I suppose, I'm going to go for a 5.5. I'm just erring towards the fact it wasn't for the reasons I've raised. But yeah, I think we're going to throw it back to Luke now to round up the podcast. Good old gamer conspiracy. Yeah, thanks for that, Callum. As always, three very interesting and compellingly presented theories that really do have you questioning what you actually believe. And now, as always, it's time for our game, Conspiracy. So, for anyone new to the podcast, you've been missing out. Definitely watch back all the other podcasts <laughs> and catch our Conspiracy game because it's a lot of fun. So what Conspiracy is, is the host, which is myself this week will give my two co-hosts free conspiracies. Two of those conspiracies are out there and real conspiracies are live on the internet and someone out there believes them, no matter how crazy they are. And one conspiracy I've completely made up myself. So these two have to figure out which one I've made up. So let's get into it. First conspiracy, I'm I'm going in strong. Kanye West (laughs) is David Bowie in blackface. (laughs) There's no messing around. Certainly not. Coldplay were only allowed to perform in China on the basis that bow to the Chinese Communist Party and post pro-Chinese propaganda in the future. Number three, Obama fabricated scandals from prominent music artists, including Miley Cyrus, to distract the US public during key events. I'm just going to jump straight into the Chinese one and Coldplay because there have been instances of other celebrities, I mean, post either pro or anti-Chinese propaganda, um, being yeah. called out for it. So I think... 
was LeBron James has been reported right. being very Chinese, which has lowered his public reputation. Of people being critical. Yeah. Of- I think the thing with the NBA is basketball is so huge in China that arguably basketball, the NBA is a larger market in China than America itself. So someone like LeBron James makes so much money out of China that he probably doesn't concern himself too much with Chinese politics and doesn't properly understand what's going on there. So he's happy to speak up about it in their favor for a bit of money. Yeah, it makes sense. I guess a bit of background about this is no Western artist had performed in China until the 80s when George Michael and Wham performed over there. But obviously, I take it you guys have heard that many artists have been banned from performing there. Uh, It's it's genuinely countless. um, Oasis, a band, so both Gallagher brothers, but Coldplay, like many other artists, were actually also banned from China. Coldplay were banned due to playing in a free Tibet concert and releasing one song which supposedly referenced Chinese espionage. However, Coldplay realised there was such a big market for their music in China. They were actually still being played there despite the ban. People were finding ways around it and their music was very popular there. Illegally streaming Coldplay. (laughs) What a way to go down. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Coldplay realised there was a big market there and we're told the only way was to bow down to the Chinese Communist Party. Like LeBron James, if you were to follow any Coldplay social media when they were in China, they posted so many over-the-top positive things about the country. Yeah, I suppose the Chinese propaganda is just next level for pro-Chinese sentiment. Yeah, and I mean the thing is, although they banned Coldplay for playing in the Free Tibet concert, Coldplay have a massive platform and, you know, people listen to them and see they're having fun in China and be like, oh yeah, China's a great country. So Coldplay do have power to influence a lot of people's opinion. Yeah, so the third one was Obama uh, engineering music scandals to distract the public from his uh, the big incidents in America. I think this is quite a commonly cited conspiracy across the world, not just relating to Obama, you know. We talked about Dominic Cummings being used as a distraction, stuff like that. Yeah, it just seems like there's so many big events that go on that can be easily, anything could easily be labelled as a distraction for something else that happened a week earlier. I think the thing is that the music industry is massive and, you know, reality stories about musicians, especially like Miley Cyrus, Justin Bieber, will really catch the nation's attention, arguably more so than political matters because people just care so much about their life. And so these stories about Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber in particular during Marty's breakdown, for example, were fabricated. And they do link up very well with key decisions made by Obama, such as the bombing of Yemen, I believe it was. He bombed no, enough places. So one of Marty Cyrus's whole breakdown and uh, Wrecking Ball was actually released around the same time that there was kind of a carpet bombing program of Syria by Obama, which, you know, kind of does get swept up under the rug a bit. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's true. So this conspiracy is obviously definitely meant to tarnish Obama, but these huge scandals at Rock Music World did coincide with key decisions that, I mean, most people would argue are questionable by Obama, and such decisions definitely went under the radar a bit, because as good as people believe Obama was and all the good he did, obviously no president is free for making dodgy kind of bad decisions. Mm. And the first one. Yeah, yeah Mr. Kanye West, David Bowie one. You can't really go wrong with this one, can you? You said uh, it's going to be one of those ones that's just so ludicrous. But that... I know. On this one, I guess we start with their personalities. Um, they're quite alike. They're egocentric. They're fashionable. They're incredibly talented at music. And they're also gay. Sorry? So, so, th- so this theory touches on um, Kim Kardashian getting so much plastic surgery because she's actually a man and Kanye wants to hide <laughs> I mean Bowie wasn't gay either I, I guess camp is a better word yeah so, and so a bit more evidence so in 1972 Bowie's album 
the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and had a cover art for Street on it, and that street is called K. West. I mean, Ooh. it's a big reference to Kanye West for sure, um, but there's also more evidence on top of that, and that is in the same album. There is a song called Five Years. Throughout, what a tune that is. You know, what song, a tune. Yeah, right? but it's the opener of that album. Okay. So throughout that song, Bowie um, sings that he only has five years left. And it's worth uh, yeah. noting that this was in 1972. And conspiracists think this means that he only had five years left of being David Bowie. Because in 1977, he was set to become Kanye West. And Kanye West was, of course, born in 1977. Uh, just without forgetting the fact that there's a big difference between a fully grown adult David Bowie <laughs> and a just born Kanye West. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying the conspiracy doesn't have major flaws. <laughs> yeah, that isn't the point of this game, Gala. I guess if this conspiracy was to go a bit deeper, it would argue, you know, Kanye West photos when he was a kid were all staged and actor or whatever. It wasn't until later on in life where Bowie started, actually. I mean, Bowie did have loads of different identities didn't he yeah david bowie david bowie ziggy stardust major tom not out of the realms of possibility that he could have another called kanye maybe he wouldn't risk going into blackface oh this might be before blackface was more frowned he's already done alien face yeah exactly i think i've made my mind up all right do you want to go first then because i don't think i have okay right well based on the fact that David Bowie is not really Luke's flavour of music, and to have all the dates lined up, firstly, like when David Bowie. Bowie <laughs> okay, well, maybe I don't know he was one as I thought I did. <laughs> I know she said um, my type of music is 80s Britpop. Yeah, but Britpop was a 90s movement. Yeah, it's a waste of Britpop. It's blurring a waste of Pulp, Travis, Swade. Okay, we're still going to stick to our guns and say that Luke would not have known off the top of his head that the street on Bowie's album was K West. He would have had to have looked that up. <laughs> maybe I just made it up. But yeah, that one is, I'm going to rule that one out and say that's a genuine theory. It just it's so ridiculous as well. It seems to be the theme when we're going for in conspiracy. And also, I'm going to think that the Obama one. It's just, it's quite likely someone's tried to put two and two together, um, connected some coincidences in major events. So the Coldplay one is the conspiracy. Although it's quite believable as well. <laughs> yeah, I think similar to Kanye, I think they're all very believable. One thing I will say is I am aware of the Kanye West thing. Uh, I've seen the album cover. I know that the K-West thing is legit. And I have heard it. I've heard a slightly different spin on it, basically just BuzzFeed articles or whatever with the clickbait. David Bowie predicted Kanye West. So it doesn't quite go into the same theory as he actually is him so i'm wondering whether you've seen the initial one and then changed it slightly oh ah, um, that's quite good i was not thinking that at all. especially because you seem to go off the assumption david bowie was gay which he wasn't i don't know maybe that's something you just got wrong in your head <laughs> and actually i don't know that because because it's got things in it that i have heard of before that steers me away from it so I do think the Coldplay one is one you could have made up as well. I'll go with uh, you made up the Bowie one, but in the sense that you put a spin on it, a spin on something that already existed. It's just viable. It's part of the rules, but conspiracy, you can do that. I didn't want to copy you either. So. No, that's why we do like it. We'd have a disagreement. Yeah, yeah. Nice right. things up. You'll be pleased to hear that one of you is indeed correct, but I have, of course, beaten one of you with my made-up conspiracy. I can confirm it is a conspiracy that Obama fabricated scandals from prominent artists. And I mainly looked at Miley Cyrus and her breakdown just being around convenient times. <laughs> I can also confirm that Coldplay were banned from China for releasing a song which referenced Chinese espionage. Coldplay did not bow to the Chinese Communist Party. That is not a conspiracy, and it is the one I've made up. So well done, Callum. There Thank is actually you. a conspiracy out there that 
David Bowie is Kanye West. I think it's more of a joke conspiracy, but yeah. conspiracy that's out there, and I'm, I'm having it because I found it on the internet. Yeah. This comes to be the dumbest one I've ever heard. <laughs> that includes Prince Phil <laughs> being coronavirus. You won't be laughing when it turns out it's true. <laughs> but yeah, there's a Coldplay where it sort of makes sense, but they're quite environmentally and socially aware. You think it's might be incredibly boring, middle of the road. Yeah, I think, I think what's interesting with Coldplay is I think they did actually manage to get themselves unbanned. And they did also, if you were going to go deeply into this, they did release a song uh, called The Princess of China, which I haven't really looked into the lyrics. With Rihanna. I, yeah, I haven't looked into the lyrics, but could that be pro-Chinese in some way? Music they, conspiracies uh, part two, eh? <laughs> that wraps up today's episode. Thank you very much to everyone for listening and thank you for all the support we've received. And for now, it's time for me to say goodbye. It's time for John and Callum to say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios. Controversial. Peace out. <laughs> Keep challenging the status quo.